0: Welcome to the NAFCOM Podcast.
1: This is part two of a four part series looking at community mediation and its impact within the
0: judicial system.
1: I do want to recognize and thank the Trust Network for giving us this opportunity to have this platform. In particular, the leaders, both Prabha and Joe, who are with us here today, that have helped pull this together. And Sunita, who made sure I knew, know how to work a side show. So this is all wonderful and great. And uh, Ben, somewhere in the background. So couldn't do without an amazing, amazing team and the amazing Trust Network. So if you're here and you're not a part of the Trust Network, please consider joining. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people who are really coming together, not only focused on early warning and early response, but also focused on community and social cohesion and structure, uh, infrastructure security. So please think about joining the Trust Network. And with that, uh, I have with me Cabrina Bass. Cabrina Bass is the Executive Director of Midlands Mediation Center in Columbia, South Carolina. She uh, is part of the NAFCOM family, both through her membership as a center, as well as serves with us on the NAFCOM Board of Directors. And I am D.G. Mon, the President of the National Association of Mediation. And communication with the mission, the vision statement is about mobilization. And so we'll go over in a little bit. In first response, in the first five years, centers immediately were set up by cities and county governments, Miami being one of the first ones, Rochester, New York be one of the first ones, Dorchester, Massachusetts, uh, Philadelphia, Columbus, Cleveland all began moving. In that first five years, the eastern part of the country really began rolling with this. And in the first 10 years, you had Las Vegas and Los Angeles and San Francisco begin setting up their centers. And it was creating a response so that there was a mechanism that CRS would need to recognize when they call them in. So it isn't just when CRS says there's a problem here. It is also when they're being called in. They must provide their assistance. It's not optional to provide their assistance, whatever is best for what the community needs. So as we look at the community cohesion and security infrastructure, the first five years was very much focused on the civil rights part and the justice part, which we'll talk about. The first 10 years was very focused on the community justice part. It has been about this service a vantage point of doing with, not doing to or doing for, and we bolded doing with because it's extraordinarily important to not only the literature surrounding the passage of the Act, but how it was being lived out. The communities did not want the federal government doing something to them, and they did not want the federal government doing something for them. They wanted the federal government to do something with them and that's critically important when looking at that relationship between the community or the bottom and that relationship at the top, the federal government. And this has been an evolving response ever since this went into play. And I want to go for a moment on what is the of mediation because when I sit with many folks, they hear the mediation word and they define it as we do in 2000, not as that was defined in 1964, and many times don't hear the community part of the word. And the community part of the word is the coming together in unity to say, we got issues and we need to figure a way how to sit with them and decide how to work with them so that we can thrive with those issues. The process is focused on empowerment and recognition of the people that are in the conflict, they own the conflict, and they have the power to resolve the conflict. Bringing in outsiders was never part of the process, which is why community mediation is always led by the indigenous population, which means those living in the community and those in which that center is impacting and addressing. The community mediator's sustained focus is on the quality of the interaction and the process, leaving the control over the outcome to all those involved so each may be brave to speak their truth, which increases the possibility of achieving a sustainable conflict transformation. It is not about resolving the conflict as a measurement tool. It is about bringing people together together And having them decide how they're going to live with it as they transform themselves, their systems, and the conflict. And so it's really important that when, at least when we started out, as we hold it, the key measurement tool is not how many cases did you close. It's not even cases, it's how many conflicts did you help bring a quality of interaction and a process to so those impacted by them could sit in them and figure out what they wanted to do. So let's go first through the first wave of our work is that they went in two different paths. And so we had centers that went down the path to help reform the justice system and many of them were called justice centers. They were named as they were intended to do. And many of them went down the path to address social and political inequity, and they were called community boards, neighborhood houses, settlement houses, very much designed on what they felt was the key to this act and what they wanted to do. So let's look at, if we will, the, the political system of respect and recognition that mediation processes afford participants a sense of power and control over their lives. It humanizes people to each other. It helps them to look beyond their assumptions and see each other as real persons with real human concerns and needs, even in the midst of disagreement. The space that we're asked to do in our work is to make sure that all those involved have a space of respect and recognition that we see each other, not as an other, but as a human sharing this space. Now we may have nothing in common, but we share this space, so how can we co-create together? So let's talk a bit about the justice centers, the justice centers themselves. This was the court focused movement. It was a response to the inefficiency of the court system. Emerging by the late sixties, it was set justice centers were all over the country. They were designed to divert cases from court caseloads, provide appropriate processes for selected types of cases, provide more efficient and acceptable services to people reduce case processing costs to the justice system, and improve people's satisfaction with the justice system. Before we open up questions about that half of it, I'd like to invite Cabrina Bass, as I said earlier, she's the Executive Director of Midlands Mediation in Columbia, South Carolina, to talk a bit about what her center is doing in this half of our work.
0: Thank you, Gigi. Uh, Midlands Mediation Center uh, started in 1998 uh, as a community mediation center. And we worked real hard with the school system to address truancy and things of that nature. And then eventually, the school systems started working with the processes that we identified to do their own truancy program. And so the center found itself trying to find identity in the midst of the community. And all of a sudden, the the judicial system said, we're going to make magistrate court be mediation mandated, right? So if you want a jury trial, you're gonna to have to go through um, mediation first. So the first thing was that the center found a relationship within uh, that process. And so they became the contract for the two counties that were piloted for mediation uh, through the justice system. So uh, we took on those cases where people wanted to go to a jury trial where they were required to mediate at least 30 minutes uh, to see if they can come up with a resolution. It was so effective. The results were so positive that that program was then launched across all 46 counties. And that was in 2007, and it's still going strong today, uh, where twice a month we come into the courts and we mediate uh, magistrate court cases. Uh, And and that's in two counties here in South Carolina, both Richland and Lexington. Now it's in all 46 counties. So any case that's going to a jury choir or a trial is required to mediate. And that provided the center with some resources because the court would contract with the center to come in on that date and do those cases and get rid of those cases so that they did not have to go forth with a jury trial, which cost them about $500 per trial. And you can imagine, we get anywhere between 20, 30 cases per time we come there, and we probably have about two, maybe three of the jury trial. So we just saved a lot of dollars for the court system. It worked so well with the magistrate court, family court said, hey, don't leave us out. We think anybody that has a contested divorce, they're gonna need to go to mediation first and try to resolve their conflict. And in family court, they had the same regulation. They need to spend some time there. So they required to spend at least two hours trying to work through their, um, their disputes and come up with a resolution. That, too, has worked well. That has worked extremely well, where the courts have, are spending less time uh, coming to conclusion with uh, divorce cases, because all of the difficult issues, remember, they're sending contested matters to the uh, mediation. Uh, those things are being resolved. And so the court doesn't have as much of a backlog because cases have already been mediated. So at the end of the mediation, they have maybe 15 minutes in court, or highest I've seen is maybe two days, versus the court spending three and four days trying to get through all of the issues related to a contested divorce. So our center really began to thrive through this mediation through the courts, and we lost our focus on the real thing of community mediation. And as DG said, everybody focused on the mediation portion of it, and we somewhat lost sight of the community portion, which was necessary and still is necessary today. And so some of the research is showing that community mediation centers end up being in into the judicial system and that whole purpose of the community sometimes gets overlooked and and not seen by the work of the community mediation center. And the resources to do the community work is very hard, is very competitive, where the judicial part, it seems easier to uh, achieve and receive. But the problem is many mediation centers are not funded by the courts. And I say that loud because when we go and we apply for funding, people say, you're funded by the courts. No. Many community mediation centers are not funded by the court. We're funded by donors and people who believe in our work of bringing peace into our community to, to make a change. I can say by being part of the court system, what we are able to do that probably nobody else is doing because we are a community mediation center, we look at the root causals. Why are people coming for eviction? why do we have so many debt collection issues can we address these issues before they get to the court what kind of programming can we create so that our community does not end up in this magistrate court but they can actually address these at the earliest stage which would be before they get to the court system so our center is doing amazing work not only in the judicial part but also in the community part thank you dg for the opportunity to share
1: Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to share your community work in just a moment. I'm going to pause a bit on the judicial part because I'm going down the list um, of the centers as it was in the late 60s of those that did the justice work. I heard all four being ticked off. The last one is people satisfaction. Do you find that the individuals you're working with, is there a way you can determine are they more satisfied with the justice system by using mediation as part of that court system?
0: We actually have a survey that we give to our participants at the end to find out how satisfied they were. And everyone is satisfied with the uh, process. Now, they may not be satisfied with the outcome, but they're very satisfied with the process. And the number one thing that we hear from people that participate is they felt that somebody heard them. They felt that somebody was listening. And it may not have been the outcome they were looking for, but they felt that their voices were heard. In fact, uh, we had a mediation last night through magistrate court that lasted till nine o'clock at night. And the attorney sent us a note saying how awesome the mediators were to be so patient, to listen through what people were going through. And so I think that is a value that um, the Community Mediation Center brings uh, because our mediators are really there to help. They're not there just to get a case done or to reach a settlement. They're there to help people Come up with their own solutions. We really push for self-determination. This is your opportunity to make your decision, to create your de- agreement. I love when people come in with all the evidence about the case and they, can I show you this video? Mm, no, you can show them the video though, because they don't the want to go to make the decision. It's not the mediator's choice. It is those parties, their decision to come up with an excellent solution that they can live with, not something that the mediator has to live with. So I think you do find a high level of satisfaction once they figure out what it is.
1: That concludes part two of this napkin podcast series. We hope you'll join us for part three of the series, which covers community mediation and how it impacts community systems. Thank you for listening.